male living space. A podcast about spas. Welcome to Male Living Space, a podcast about Sparks. I'm Gib Christensen, and I love the band Sparks. I'm Jamie Ogihara, and I don't know one single thing about the band Sparks. And together, we're dissecting the seminal brotherly band's complete body of work, one album at a time. Last time, we went over their debut and just checked out their entrance into the scene and also got some pretty strong reactions on both ends of the favoritism spectrum. Uh, Slowboat, for example surprisingly polarizing slowboat was a favorite of gibbs slowboat was a slog for me personally <laughs> right off the bat i will say nothing offended me quite on the level of slowboat on their second album a woofer in tweeters clothing yes that was going to be my first question for you had anything reached that level of annoyance for you so nothing has topped slowboat no nothing has topped Slowboat on this album. There's one song that definitely annoyed me. <laughs> Can't wait to get to that. But there wasn't one where I was entirely, where, where my body rejected it quite like Slowboat. <laughs> Wonderful. So, uh, through the development of this record is also the stage at which they changed their name from Half Nelson to Sparks recommended by management and just other record label executive types claiming that the band name Half Nelson gave too much of a rustling vibe. It was kind of weird. They just really felt it kind of gave off the wrong message as to what kind of band they were. And initially, it was suggested that they become the Sparks Brothers as a nod to the Marx Brothers because they have a mustachioed brother and they're just goofballs, weird artsy goofballs. And they hated that. So they negotiated at least the uh, the brothers out of it, and were fine with Sparks. And so after that, they reissued Half Nelson under the name Sparks, and then begun work on A Woofer in Tweeter's Clothing. Is this also the last uh, album cover where the entire band is pictured, and not just the brothers? Yes, it is. Uh, after this, it's either complete strangers, people who aren't in the band, or Ron and Russ, or just one of the brothers, for instance, on the cover of one of their records, the front has Russell and the back has Ron. It's mm. a fun little thing. So they sought out to try yet again to break into the mainstream. The first album really didn't make much of a dent. A lot of people who heard it liked it, but others also dismissed them as a novelty band, a goofy yuck em up band, even before Ron went full Chaplin slash Hitler with his look. But he was at least still rocking uh, an afro and eyeliner, so he still kind of popped as a member of the band with his general character. The creation of this was, like with the first one, pretty eccentric. For example, to get the accordion on the track Beaver Olindi, they found the 14-year-old kid brother of the bassist of the Electric Prunes, who just happened to know accordion so they had him jam oh in a batteries not included to get a kid's voice they just kind of left the studio for 10 minutes in la found uh, a woman with a kid and were like can you just pop into the studio for like 10 minutes for our song okay cool we'll never see each other again so a lot of off-kilter ways especially for the time to make music critically it did Slightly better, people were finding more personality in their tracks and more of a flow to it, a lack of an identity crisis. 
something um, more identifiably individual. Exactly. It sounds like Sparks. On that subject, shall we get to our Sparks book reports? I'd absolutely love to. It's time for the Sparks book report. Gib, you did such a good job leading off the book reports segment for the last episode. I'd love it if you started us off again this time around. All right. <clears throat> My Sparks book report on a woofer and tweeter's clothing. Sparks take their music from the slow boat to the garage with more snark, more fuzz, and one half less of Nelson. The signature <laughs> spark sound starts to truly rear its weird mustachioed head. Despite some still-present growing pains, this record is a crucial step to their big break. Russell's immediately recognizable voice shines, and Ron's lyrics show much more of the dry wit and weirdness they'll become known for later on. The band no longer sound like they're trying to be like someone else. They're just whatever the hell they are. That's terrific. Thank you very much. I love the phrase, one half less Nelson. <laughs> uh, that might be my most proud moment in that report. <laughs> I love it. It's almost Ron Mail-esque. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to grow a mustache like that someday and then get yelled at because no one's going to assume, oh, Ron Mail from Sparks, that's where you got the mustache. <laughs> we'll talk about the legacy of that mustache when we get to Girl from Germany. <laughs> <laughs> yes, can't wait to talk about Girl from Germany. Okay, so this is Jamie's Sparks Book Report on A Woofer in Tweeter's Clothing by Sparks. If Sparks's first album is National Lampoon's Family Vacation, a goofy little romp across their home nation, their follow-up is, appropriately, a European vacation. The band's travels across the Atlantic see them plundering the continent's pop cultural treasures and costuming themselves in a myriad of European fashions, as suggested by the album title's allusion to attire. However, not every item is form-fitting. While Sparks seems untroubled by a foray into pre-war music hall on Here Comes Bob and whispery French Baroque pop on The Louvre, they jam the gears of the Beatle-ish underground with bubblegum and mistake Sound for Fury on the shrieky Nothing is Sacred and the overlong Krautrock closer whippings and apologies. To borrow a phrase from the group themselves, a woofer in tweeter's clothing forces Sparks to seek some new rendezvous, although not every song reaches its destination. Ooh, that was fantastic. That was, uh, I just love all the phrasing that I love. I love the vacation comparison. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking uh, about it this morning. Oh, that's really smart. I like that a lot. Okay, now, to use the Ignitometer to rank each other's book reports. A quick recap of the Ignitometer. This is a podcast about sparks. Therefore, the scale on which everything is measured is based upon items which ignite and produce sparks. The scale ranges from stone, match, firecracker, propane tank, campfire, exposed wire, aerosol can, Tesla coil, bad toaster, and finally, oil left in pan too long. Now, Jamie, I thought your report was fantastic, even better than the last one. It's shorter, certainly. <laughs> well, there's a, a a bit less anger behind it. Yeah, it's <laughs> so it, yeah, it's nicer. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I'd say I'd put it in bad toaster. Really? Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Gib, I found your graduation from shouty bullet points to full <laughs> sentences to be honestly revelatory. 
Um, I'm going to say that for your measured critiques and for your assessment of the way that the band evolved through the record, I am going to give your Sparks Book Report also a bad toaster. No. Thank you very much. We're a couple of proud bad toasters. And if we are bad, we can be bad together. Mm -hmm. Together we'll fall in a bathtub from some idiot. Let's get into our top three tracks from the album. Fantastic. All right. My top three tracks on Woofer and Tweeter's clothing are The Louvre, Do Re Mi, and Moon Over Kentucky. Interesting. Okay. Uh, My top three are Underground... Whippings and Apologies, and Here Comes Bob. Ooh, you like Whippings and Apologies? See, here's the thing. I've made some very last-minute changes to my lineup. Originally, Whippings and Apologies was going to be Do Re Mi. Mm. Until I realized, as it turns out, they did not write Do Re Mi. No, it's a cover. I had no idea it was a Sound of Music cover. (laughs) wait a minute what do you mean you didn't know i haven't seen sound of music oh (laughs) my like older extended family loves that movie but like i've my immediate family was so sick of it (laughs) there was never really a point where they're like you need to see sound of music so i know the hills are alive but that's Mm -hmm. about all i know and so Going back through the uh, the book about the band's history and everything, and then mentioning the cover, I'm like, oh, huh, okay. I thought it was more just kind of a random little almost mantra-type song written by them, but it's like, oh, okay. I still like it, but I still, I, I kind of want to, I guess, give a bit more credit to a, like, 100% by Sparks, Sparks song. It's still really fun, but I, Whippings and Apologies still has that speediness that you can get from it. And also... It's fun knowing that uh, after they released this album, a lot of people thought that Sparks, especially the brothers, were S&M sex freaks. Mm. When in reality, it was like, nah, we just thought it'd be funny to write about S&M. We're, we're nerds. <laughs> I wasn't really feeling whippings and apologies because mm-hmm. it has very few melodic ideas and mm-hmm. it cycles through them a little too quickly for it to kind of justify its length of nearly five minutes. Sure. But it definitely has a lot of energy, and I wonder if this trend of, like, the hard-rocking closer is going to continue throughout their discography, because No More Mr. Nice Guys also has that same sort of driving energy on which the album ends. Yeah, I think that's kind of why I'm a bit more forgiving for that track, is there aren't really a lot of concepts or ideas to break down from it. But it's just this nice little fast flourish. I love, uh, especially compared to the first album, I love how much more they show off the drum skills in this one. There's a lot more mm-hmm. speedy riffs where they're really getting to have fun with it and show a little bit of pre-punk energy, which is neat. I was especially impressed by the drumming on Dore Me. I found it to be really yeah. thunderous. A lot of the energy that I sensed from tracks on the debut, like Saccharin and the War, I could see getting a little more lift in the second record, especially on tracks yeah. like Dore Me. And yes, Whippings and Apologies does have a really strong beat behind it. I just personally feel like the melody doesn't really give you much to latch on to, especially mm-hmm. because of the way that it sort of repeats itself ad nauseum. Yeah, totally. 
Now, I'd like to hear how Moon Over Kentucky is in your top three. Oh my god, it's my favorite song on the record. It's probably Ooh. my favorite song that I've heard from Spark so far. I find the song to be, especially in this album that has a very distinct European flavor to it, as the book report indicated, Moon Over Kentucky to be this nice little reminder that they come from the world of American rock music and that kind of bluesy, like, semi-yodel refrain <laughs> that goes on is, like, a little bit of Hank Williams, a little bit of Screamin' Jay Hawkins. That sort of horror atmosphere was really well-suited, I thought, to the band's strengths. It felt like they were doing work in a different register than I'd heard it before. Like, it wasn't, like, consciously goofy, nor was it po-faced drama. It was theatrical, certainly, but it hit the right register where it found the right musical accompaniment for this scene that's very nocturnal and filled with longing and then the lyrics, I read the lyrics this time after my embarrassing mishap <laughs> with big bands last episode. <laughs> no worries. About this story about the narrator who's trying to get their lover away from their controlling mother. Like, I found it to be exceedingly compelling. And the sparse drums and the echoing effects on everything, this sort of cavernous reverb, I just thought it had so much atmosphere and so much character to it that I was, I really felt transported by it. That's a really great way of describing it. It reminds me of how every time I've listened to it, the mental image I get is always like a full moon in an old west town or something. Yeah. Like there's a howling wolf in the distance or something. Mm -hmm. Like you said, very, very Americana. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting. I'm kind of curious, though, if you agree at all with me. I feel like it could be somewhere else in the track list because it's almost kind of jarring after Here Comes Bob. It really it's kind is, of, yeah. It's such a tone shift <laughs> that I was like, whoa, whoa, okay, this is getting heavy now. We were <laughs> but it's still, like you said, really beautiful and compelling and super atmospheric. Definitely the most atmospheric thing they've done so far. You know what I think, though? We experience it where it's just all 11 tracks, but the people who had had the vinyl record, from what I'm reading here... It appears as if the closer for side A is Moon Over Kentucky. Mm. So kind of going from the whistly, jangly pop of Girl from Germany to the melodramatic darkness of Moon Over Kentucky, it's this wonderful range that you get off of side A. And on the topic of Here Comes Bob, which I know it's one of your top tracks, mm -hmm. I read the lyrics for it, and it did actually engender in me more of an appreciation for it once I got to read this story, the very mm. eccentric story about a man who thinks he's making friends by crashing people's cars. God, I, I love Here Comes Bob so much. It's it's such a silly little thing, and I love how they class it up with the strings. It feels like we're following around this like bright, peppy character doing these horrible things. 
I love the types of vehicles he chooses to hit depending on his mood. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love Russell's delivery of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, it's just such a funny little self-contained idea of, like you said, guy who makes friends via car accidents and is so excited to give his information. Yeah, it's almost like a concept out of some sort of British humor journal or something. (laughs) You could imagine it being like a nicely done satirical short story. Mm -hmm. And then that lovely little ironic capper of Bob believing that the judge is going to agree with him. (laughs) Yeah, he's this optimistic, idealistic guy. He doesn't understand that someone could question that idea, that way of making friends. He's like, well, look, it's so easy. I meet people all the time. All you gotta do is hit them. Right, and he admits, like, oh, it's not subtle, but... Yeah. I mean, it's not, you know, buying a drink, but... Hey! Another part in the lyrics where they speak about... It's just so nice when there's some kind of big thing to be your go-between. None Mm -hmm. of that awkward small talk, you know. You got a big crash. You got something to talk about. God, it's just so fun, in my opinion. Continuing on with my top three, uh, Underground. It's just very sweet and, like, cute interpretation of, like, a little underground garage band dreaming of going big with their jazz rock fusion for the teens. <laughs> yeah, it definitely reminded me of 60s British rock. I mentioned there's definitely some Beatles in the group harmonies. Mm-hmm. A little bit of that sort of genteel Kings or the Village Green Preservation Society wit to it. That drum beat reminds me of a lot of the early stuff that like The Who used to do also. Yeah, and in my opinion, it feels a very montage kind of in the same way that I found uh, Bala Fali, uh, yeah. You know, the movie that Underground could go into would be like some sort of children's movie about moles who start a band or something. Yeah! Oh my god! That's it. And it makes sense that, you know, two albums in a row already were getting very, like, movie-friendly tracks because, mm. like, Ron and Russell Mayle have made it very clear their love of film, well, American, French, uh, art house films and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. They've talked a lot about being in the hip-artsy scene and yeah. how to seem especially cool in the burgeoning rock scene and how... You only know about the secret stuff and how I dream of having a basement tape and all that. I don't know how much you have to say about the Louvre. Much like you with Here Comes Bob, I understood the Louvre when I read the lyrics. You know, the French. Because there are sections (laughs) that aren't translated. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, tell me about why you love the Louvre. Well, first of all, I am a collector of the sort of 60s French records. I love the production, and I always love the vocals of these girls who seem terrified of microphones. (laughs) Like standing 30 feet away and whispering into it? Whispering and like almost frightened to dance. Just sort of like standing there, (laughs) tottering from side to side. So when we got to the Louvre, and we got a little bit of that sort of musical idea on Angus Desire. But then on the Louvre, it's taken to this Baroque pop place where it reminded me a lot of certain production choices that like Serge Gainsbourg would make on his records with Jane Birkin, where it would be very sparse instrumentation. 
and hushed vocals. So I loved the mood that that created. I liked the band experimenting with actually doing certain lyrics in French to capture mm -hmm. that. And then the way that they incorporated the English lyric as if to sort of reassert that we're just American tourists. This is just sort of a <laughs> detour into as if you are like American museum guests in this French space. And then reading the lyric. And again, it's another sort of eccentric story that's this story about longing, but told from the perspective of a museum exhibit a statue that's floor mounted and the way that the museum tour guide in the lyrics creates the meaning says that this is a monument for change right and it's the great irony of the statue always keeps looking towards the door and it's immovable <laughs> yeah you can't move me if you tried kind of thing right i definitely got a larger appreciation for it once i read the lyrics but overall i just loved the way that they adopted that specific musical style nice and uh it's interesting because when they were making this song they actually were debating whether to either go completely in French or completely in English and eventually mm. just blended the two. And I think that was a good decision. Yeah, it definitely gives you that feeling of if you were walking through a French museum and you had a tour guide and the tour guide was speaking in French and then they turned to you, American tourist, and explained <laughs> the thing that they, that they just said. Yeah. <laughs> we gotta take a quick break right now for some advertisements to make some moolah. That crypto moolah. Uh, we'll be right back. Totally awesome! Isn't Sparks like totally dutical? They're okay. Okay? Twiggy, Sparks is your ultimate favorite group in the whole world. For sure. <laughs> Hello? Hey, Jamie. Hey, Gib. How's your life going these days? It's going pretty all right. Although, I am seeming to be running on low energy these days. Feel like you could use a bit of a charge? A little bit of a boost. That's what I'm in... That's, that, that's what I'm in the market for. How do you feel about electricity, Jamie? Oh, well, I'm a big fan of Tesla. Can't say I really like Benjamin Franklin, though. Let's see what we could do about that lack of a charge. Have you heard of batteries? Batteries? Are they... There's no way they could be better than kerosene. <laughs> oh, buddy. Kerosene's a thing of the past. We got batteries here, and they're in major improvement. First off, cylinder shape. I love a tube. Love a good tube. Do you have a marriage that's on the rocks? Well, we did have our honeymoon in Gibraltar. You know what would have fixed that? Batteries. To hold in my mouth? Well, to hold in my mouth like a cigar, puff puff. Oh, they are versatile. But no, citizen, please do not light batteries in your mouth and try to smoke them. Well, not the, light the... it, but like <laughs> puff puff, like a like like I'm so cool. <laughs> yes, we understand coolness here at Battery Co. But, but you don't you don't bite it and you don't light it. You puff puff. You d <laughs> How much would you pay for a whole set of life-saving batteries? My life savings. Uh, okay, let's see. How much have you... How, how old are you? I'm between 8 and 80. So those savings could be a lot or a little. Well, I might be onto something with the scam. 
batteries are great for uh, your remote control. If you still haven't gotten any, you know, batteries in it, I'm sure it's not working. It's not doing anything on your TV. I'd love to control um, my TV. It hasn't stopped playing VH1 Greatest Hits of the 80s. Well, finally, you can move on to Greatest Hits of the 90s on VH1 2. That's amazing. With batteries. Plug them on in. In the right places, though. So I plug the batteries in. In? Not through. I've been putting the kerosene through the lamp. Well, the revolution is here. Go pick up your batteries, because they're not included with literally anything. You mean if I buy anything, I'm going to need these batteries? If you buy anything, if you buy a TV remote, a video game controller, a shoe, two shoes, three shoes, and even car needs a battery. Car need battery? Car need battery. And battery is a nice, modest, cheap $45 per half. Half the tube? Half the tube. Oh yeah, we uh, we pre-cut them in half to sort of, um, let's see, what's, what's, what's the term you use? Uh, fake limit the supply? Oh, maybe I'm not supposed to be telling you that. But yeah, no, uh, you gotta pay extra for the other half if you want like a working battery. You pay for the first half for for more of a, a show, you know, to have the brand, you know, like the supreme of electrical equipment. Oh, I see. So it has the word battery right right across it. Well, I guess it has B-A-T-T on one half, and then I have to buy the other half to get the E-R-Y. I'm, sh- I'm sure that there's apparel for this also. Oh, of course. We got battery shirts, battery pants, battery, battery, batteries. I see. I think we have a sponsorship with the courts whenever there's a, a assaulted battery but uh we're really not sure how to get that across with the merch no one seems to be in the mood when they're in court but uh but but you know what that, people do want in court people want paper fans because the court can get really really hot mm-hmm. i heard that there are actually paper fans with the word battery on them but you haven't been selling battery-operated fans. No, no, no. We think uh, battery-operated fans are a mistake from God. Man was supposed to wave the fan. Fan wasn't supposed to wave the man. And this was all communicated in your five-book testament regarding the original source of power on Earth. Indeed. Now let's circle back to you buying batteries. Tell what do you me more think? about this new interested? religion. I, we gotta talk about batteries. Are you uh, Please, before we get to the religion, will you buy some batteries? No. Alright, but only if they enhance my spiritual well-being. I'm in need of a new religion. Uh, of course. Get them now. Batteries. For losing and getting a new religion. <laughs> okay, bye! Welcome back to Male Living Space. Uh, we've been discussing our top three tracks of A Wolfer and Tweeter's Clothing. Now we're moving on to the bottom three. Jamie, what tracks irked you? Well, Gib, the tracks that irked me on Wolfer and Tweeter's Clothing, my bottom three, are Batteries Not Included, Whippings and Apologies, and Nothing is Sacred. Ooh, nice. Oh, uh, well, I also put... Nothing is sacred. We could talk about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Angus Desire and I uh, swapped Dory Me into the bottom three um... after learning it's from a movie musical I haven't seen. 
<laughs> but we've already talked plenty about that. Let's talk about how nothing is sacred is bad. It is bold of it's... the male brothers <laughs> to assume that the concept of Cole Porter's Anything Goes is at all suited for a pop rock song. <laughs> and also to take the concept of Anything Goes and then rework it as like a breakup song? <laughs> it's the example of like making a small problem feel really big, but none of the bigness is actually dynamic it just sort of runs in place and it's annoying <laughs> oh god yeah that's such a good way of putting it the rhythm it just meanders so much and i guess i i think i i get what they were going for but the opening uh little bit of kind of spoken word from russell where he's just kind of sassily being like nothing no nothing like <laughs> it's it just barely crossed the line of, like, too much cheese. Mm-hmm. And maybe that is supposed to be the joke of it, that it's a song about irreverence and it embraces it by making something very purposefully, like, grating and obnoxious because <laughs> it, because that's permissible within the conventions of the song. But that joke wears itself pretty thin. If there, if that is the joke at all, yeah, like the chorus gets pretty grating. Uh, mm-hmm. The the note Russell hits is just like, ooh, it's bad. It's like, congrats, yeah. it's a very high note, but him just uh, squealing, nothing is sacred anymore, a bunch of times. I especially upon like multiple listens of the record, I'm just mm-hmm. like, oh. Every time I got to nothing is sacred, I'm like, okay, oh boy, let's get this, let's get this through again. My reward yeah. is here comes Bob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think here comes Bob is placed neatly because here comes Bob is this sort of miniature coming right after nothing is sacred, which is like, again, nearly five minutes of one note. <laughs> and like the jangly guitar that like, again, I get what they're going for, but it's just not right. Something's a bit off that makes it instead of like quirky and interesting more uh irritating like you said yeah so what what landed batteries not included a like not even minute long song in your bottom three because every time i listened to the record it would come on and then i would think about weird al and (laughs) i would think weird al could do so much good with this concept weird al could spin three verses and a bridge out of this concept. (laughs) And even Russell's delivery of the final line, batteries not included, is I think the same melody as they forgot the onions from Trapped in the (laughs) (laughs) Drive-Thru. So, like, your problem with it is uh, wasted potential. I don't know why it's a minute, knowing that it's a minute every time, especially after the Louvre, which makes such good use of its time by moving into different sections, by reinterpreting itself, and then you get to that, and it's a minute of 
a promising concept about a child who sees violence as the only way of getting his toy to work mm -hmm. and nothing really happens with it. It's almost as if the song itself doesn't turn on. Fun fact, it seems apparently a good chunk of listeners actually interpreted it as a sex toy that came home and was thrown and broken. Like it was a vibrator or something with no batteries. Oh. So people really have a way of interpreting things differently. I mean, <laughs> on, if we're going to talk about Angus Desire, I mean, Gib, this is a super horny album. It really is. Like <laughs> I was shocked reading the lyrics. <laughs> yeah, Sparks... Sparks horniness is an interesting kind of horniness because like Cause they're nerds. Because <laughs> exactly, they're dorks. <laughs> they're dorks. You don't they think they would write this many songs about fucking? Because you're like, what do you know? <laughs> right. It's like your brothers. Are you okay singing that with your brother? <laughs> but then it's like. Because they did such a good job, like, dissecting, like, the sex jam on the first record with Biology 2. And then now yeah. here, you have Beaver O'Lindy. I mean, the title sort of speaks for itself. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And, like... The boy in your bed, the girl in your head is yeah. working Beaver O'Lindy. Angus Desire, I think it's about a girl who's peeping on her friends in her school locker room? Yeah, that's the interpretation I got from it, too. Yeah. It's, so Sparks horniness is interesting because it takes, like, five minutes to say, wanna fuck? <laughs> uh, it, it <laughs> Ron Mayle just loves his words. It makes you wonder what, like, foreplay from the Mayle brothers is like, because it must take a lot of patience. Well, thanks for sure. Russell can sure hit those high notes. <laughs> And like you're saying, the weirdness of brothers performing it, especially when a lot of the time, like, Ron would write the lyrics. So mm -hmm. imagine your brother handing you those lyrics and being like, this is what you're singing. And you're like, all right, okay. I was Wait. actually really on board with Angus Desire until I read the lyric. Yeah, same. I like the instrumental, but reading the yeah, lyrics, it's I'm like, like jaunty. Eh. It reminded me of, like, Your Mother Should Know from the Magical Mystery Tour album, where it's a little bit of a waltz. Yeah, so exactly. It was, it was a jaunty little waltz, and then I read the lyric, and it was talking about implied consent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Once I read that, so, I'm like, oh, no. So, like, violently, like... <laughs> oh, I was shocked. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. Calling her um, the Stockyard Femme Fatale? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. Also, we still haven't talked about Girl from Germany. We've gone this whole time without talking about Girl from Germany. In my interpretation, Girl from Germany is them doing Wonder Girl again, but with actual dimensions. <laughs> it's, it's Wonder Girl, but good. She's the Wonder Girl from Germany. <laughs> They're both album starters. <laughs> yeah, good point. It's really funny, really specific, fighting for the time especially. Of all people, Mike Myers has said his favorite Sparks lyric is in Girl from Germany. Uh, I guess he's, he's a huge fan of the band. He's in the documentary and everything. Mm -hmm. But specifically the lyric, 
yeah, my word, she's from Germany. Well, it's the same old country, but the people have changed. Mm-hmm. That is Austin Powers' favorite lyric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is very funny that a man with Ron Mail's mustache is writing a lyric. They can hear the stormtroopers on their front lawn. Yeah. <laughs> who A man who you described in our first episode as Keyboard Hitler. <laughs> yeah, and like, the really peppy instrumentation helps the it too. The whistling? Yeah, I, I love the whistling. It's just such a carefree song about World War Two and uh, the after effects and prejudice and all that really fascinating and this isn't the first time that ron writes a song that's at least semi self-aware of his look the mustache and the connections Mm -hmm. people can tend to make to it and like wonder girl an opening track but i feel like it's more bold because of its subject matter too not a lot of albums start out with something like this about really specific prejudice uh, in your semi-goofball, yacht-rock, European-inspired album. <laughs> this had, I would say, 200% less big boat energy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they tossed the boat out to sea, covered in gasoline, lit it on fire. Yeah, now there's a song about crashing cars. Yeah, they went from... <laughs> they swapped vehicles. They, you know, boats are out, cars yeah. are in. <laughs> That covers uh, our top and bottom three tracks, which then takes us to the next segment of the show. Where we are going to rate a woofer and tweeter's clothing on our beloved Ignitometer. So, Jamie, where would you put Sparks's a woofer and tweeter's clothing on the Ignitometer? Well, Gib, there are some extremely high highs on the Louvre and Moon Over Kentucky. And for the strangely ribald subject matter, it can at times discourage closer readings. But when you don't listen closely, you might miss some of the story details from things like Here Comes Bob. So I'm going to say that Woofer in Tweeter's clothing is better than the debut, certainly. It is a campfire for me. Ooh. Very good. Uh, I definitely agree with all your points. It feels like they've made improvements across the board. They feel more focused, more uh, unique. and More well-rounded. More well-rounded. There you go. And um, while we still do get some grading stuff from Nothing is Sacred, we obviously don't get to any truly destructive heights like that of a boat that is slow. So uh, I think I would rate this album as... An aerosol can. Still not amazing, but great progress from one to two. Do you come back to this one more often than you do the debut? I think so. Uh, in part, probably because it brings more laughs, for sure. Like, here mm. comes Bob as an easy little mood-boosty jaunt, and you get some nice speedy bits out of uh, tracks like Do Re Mi. There's a lot more, like, flavors to get into with this one. Uh, the first album is much more like a singular mood, in my opinion. So... Now that we have ranked our albums, we shall now toss it to some listener feedback. It's time for You've Got Mail. You've Got Mail. I shall start it out because we have a new letter. Oh! From Carla in downtown Boise. Says here, Hi, 
Hello, folks. Hi there. Howdy. That's a lot of introductions. Okay. Yeah, that's a lot of preface. Yeah, they seem nervous. Long time listener, first time writer. Uh, I just want to say, I love Slowboat. And I don't understand Jamie's problems with it. It's a great track, full of heart, full of charm, and a boat that's slow. I don't know. I thought Jamie was kidding, but it seems like they might actually not like Slow Boat. And I don't know what to do with this information. Please help me. Please help me understand. Well, that's a very uh, emotional note we've gotten. Uh, I wish that we could do this show live, like a sports radio show, and that would be like a call-in, like <laughs> Carla from Boise, so I could say, listen, Carla, I'm going to stop you right there, all right? Let, let, let's get into the facts of the matter here, all right? The, right, this is, where, <laughs> this is where you'd yell at a woman on her webcam who yeah. just wants to have fun. <laughs> Look here, Carla, you're telling me that slow boat's romantic, and I think that's a crock. <laughs> you pull out the three Let's look at the facts. Four mouth. minutes, no hooks, an interminable guitar solo. <laughs> wait, wait, where is this uh, sports center accent from exactly? It's not quite Mike Francesa from Mike and the Mad Dog. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you think you and Carla could make amends? Do you think you could be friends? This, this this has really caused a rift between you two. Well, I'll admit, I was very harsh on Slowboat because of my history as a record collector who bought a lot of records from the late 70s, thinking that they'd be very cool rock records, only for them to turn out to be soft rock records. <laughs> so a lot of my disdain for that comes from some really bad hunches as a dollar bin record collector. <laughs> so I'll admit I made it very, very personal, and I took it out on Sparks, the inventors of Yacht Rock. <laughs> I don't like the song still. I think it's a poorly composed song. I am still baffled that it actually got them their record deal because I would have laughed them out of whatever record company that would deign to hire me for my good taste and maintain my reputation of good taste by throwing the Mail Brothers out of the building when they brought their seaborne mistake to me with the promise of rock glory because I would say to them, no, sirs, no, it is Futile to even pursue music stardom with songs of this caliber. Songs maybe even too generous to describe the things that I am hearing. It is cacophonic in its qualities when it is not being incredibly tepid. No, you will not go further in the music industry if I have anything to say about it. And I have plenty to say about it. So stick it, Carla. Stick it. Because all boats are off. <laughs> well, uh, hopefully, uh, Carla's satisfied. Uh, maybe we'll hear from her Thanks again. Thanks for your letter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, 
uh, Jamie, any letters uh, on your end? I mean, the one I got was directed to you. I'm not sure. Oh, well, you know what? I actually do have one here for it's been addressed to you. Oh, this is a weird pattern. Mm-hmm. This is from Running on Fumes in Romania. Okay. It's addressed to the Light Lord, for the record. To, oh, the Light Lord. Yes. Please, please tell me more. A missive to the Light Lord. The green glow burns bright. The embers dance in the eye of the rabbit. It goes and goes. The tubes move through the miasma of space, looking for polarized magnets in which to make homes. The galaxy spirals, but not without an electric pulse. The plan unfolds. The work begins. Sincerely, your humble devotee. It has begun. The time is now. My time of lording land is upon us. Jamie, do you know what this means? It means that someone has read your five-book testament on the Battery Gospel. I'm gonna need my robes. If you don't hear from and me... And your very funny hat. And my very funny hat. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's funnier than a... I'm laughing just thinking about it. <laughs> oh, it's funnier than a husband talking about having to go to the opera with his wife. Yeah, that was the last album. <laughs> I must get my robes and hat. If you don't hear from me within a week, assume I've ascended. I will wait for you to get your serious robes and very funny hat. I'm off! Well, thank you very much, listeners. Uh, Gib is going to don his robes and hats, so I'm just going to remind you that you can subscribe to the podcast if you enjoy it and leave ratings and reviewings of your own, which may be read on our infamous You've Got Mail segment. If you'd like to be like the fine folks that you heard tonight, which are running on fumes in Romania and Carla in Boise, and uh, we promise not to yell at you uh, <laughs> as I did at Carla. I'm incredibly sorry. Uh, if, if it happens in the future, you can expect a nice fruit basket and an apology card. From Gib. <laughs> um, Gib, why don't you take us home now? Oh, oh, I'm sorry, huh? did, I, did I interrupt you while you were dressing? Oh, uh, oh, no, that's all fine. I was just checking. I thought I heard a sneeze. No, um, oh, that looks, I, uh, that looks nice, huh? what you've got on. Thank you. I uh, got it from Whole Foods. I gotta say, <laughs> I love that! <laughs> <laughs> oh, it flows so elegantly. Mostly because it's made from the same material as they, uh, you know, put bread in. Boxes? Plastic. Oh. <laughs> uh, Any whoozle. See you next month for the next one. We're doing Kimono My House from 1974, their third album. Indeed. Their breakout album. Uh, have a good time, folks. Uh, have a sparky evening. We're still working on a closing slogan. Oh, we ha I mean, we have a closing line. We do, right. Yes. Completely blanked <laughs> on that segment. <laughs> and now, for your listening pleasure and ours, six legally allowable seconds of the music of Sparks. It's the